Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Hey, welcome back to The uh, Scent Life. As we continue our summer series, Together We Go, as we think about how we as Southern Baptists actually engage in mission and uh, why we do the things that we do. Now, Keelan, this is a um, this is an important week. I'm not sure exactly when this episode will drop, but we're recording it the week that the Guidepost uh, report uh, was released in the Southern Baptist Convention. A lot of heavy, serious news uh, that's been released, a lot of stuff we're processing, praying about, thinking about. Um, our hearts go out to the survivor community and to those who, uh, who have been wounded over the years in the Southern Baptist Convention. We don't want to ignore that. Um, and so we want to acknowledge that openly uh, as we get into this uh, into this podcast. Yeah, that's right, Scott. There's a lot of heavy things that we have in front of us at this point heading into our annual meeting here in a couple of weeks. And uh, we do. We want to ask our readership, look over that, read it, understand it, weep over it, and uh, consider those things well as we head into the convention because we've got a lot of important decisions that we've got to make here soon. That's right. That's right. We want to acknowledge that. We, we do pray for uh, those uh, in convention leadership who have to make decisions, we all bear responsibility uh, for our denomination, and we want to be uh, we want to be good, solid Christians uh, who stand up for the right uh, things and the right people. And so today uh, on the Scent Life, we want to talk about the Southern Baptist Convention. We're not going to uh, we're not going to focus on um, the report itself. We're going to focus on the denomination as we have week after week leading into our annual meeting in Anaheim, as we really think about. Um, what does it mean to be a Southern Baptist? There's a lot of things flying around, but at the core, uh, being a Southern Baptist, as we've said, is about our cooperating together toward the mission. The last several weeks, uh, we've worked with several different people, and today, uh, I've really looked forward to this podcast almost more than anyone that we have. We have one of our our great friends, uh, Amy Whitfield, is in the studio today. Uh, Amy is uh, a friend of mine, Keelan. She's a friend of yours. Indeed. Uh, she's been with us at Southeastern. She served uh, significant roles with our denomination. She currently serves at my church. And so uh, we love Amy. Amy, welcome to our podcast. I am so excited to be here. I feel honored to be with you two. I mean, this is a big deal. So. Well, it's a big deal for us to have royalty in the house. So thanks a ton for being here. That's right. I may actually have a few people that want autographs signed before we leave here. Oh, so please. just catch me afterward and we'll do that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So one of the things that we uh, that we do want to acknowledge right here at the beginning, Amy, you wrote a book um, yes. about uh, the Southern Baptist Convention several years ago. And uh, it's kind of a how-to right. manual, how the convention even works. We're going to get to some of that in this week and probably next week in our podcast. Right, yeah. So I co-wrote that with Keith Harper, who is a professor here at Southeastern. And it's just it's called SBC FAQs, and it really is designed to be a reference for people who want to understand how the convention works. They want to engage in the process, but they don't know how. We have a lot of governing documents, and, uh, you know, if there's a committee you're trying to figure out how it works, well, that the definition for that may come from, like, Article, you know, four over here and bylaw, you know, six or something like that. I mean, I'm just kind of pulling those numbers right. out of the air, but it it it's kind of a composite of a number of things. And so I learned over the years that a lot of people 
couldn't didn't know where all those pieces were. And so that's what we did was to try to bring together and answer just basic questions. What's the difference between the SBC president and the executive committee president? What do the various committees do? Differences between motions and resolutions, things like that. And so we put that together. It came out a few years ago. Actually, I mean, there have been pretty sig- significant changes in the structure of our convention. And I think, you know, with some of the things this week, we may be looking at more. Right. And so some of those questions need to be updated, but it's it still provides a pretty good foundation to understand what you're going into. It's a really helpful book. When I first read the book several years ago, I, I wrote that it was a, it was the guide map for right. the way the convention works. And that really is what it is. So it probably is should be a bestseller once a year. And this For is, like two days, yeah. <laughs> and this is coming the time of year it ought to be a bestseller. Uh, as people are really asking questions, how do things work on the floor of the convention? So in order to help with that, if you'd like a copy of uh, Amy's book, uh, if you're the first 10 people who contact us through one of our social media channels, we'll send you a free copy. Um, maybe a lucky one or two. We may get Amy to even autograph them for you. But uh, we'll get you a copy of that book. And uh, you you can have that if you're like number 11 through 479, you have to buy your own book, but buy it, bring it to the convention and let it kind of be a real help uh, if you go to Anaheim about how things work and how things function. Yeah. So since we have Amy here, one of the things that I really want us to dig into concerning the SBC is some of our history. Uh, I think it would be a big help for us to have a conversation that begins at the beginning, okay. so to speak, on the the denomination, how we structured, where we came from, all of that kind of stuff. And then moving forward, we can probably talk some significance about how that works. Sure. So, Amy, I'm going to ask you a really weird question that, that I think you can answer maybe better than just about anybody I know. When it comes to the history of our denomination, if you had to tell somebody that story, that history, on an elevator. So, in oh other words, goodness. if we had to give it as an elevator spill. <laughs> yeah. How would how would you do it? How would you tell our history in such a concise way? Right. Well, it, that's not easy because it's not a fun story for an elevator ride. You know, uh, one of the things that becomes very important is if we're going to tell the history of the convention, we've got to be brutally honest. Right. We have to recognize mm-hmm. uh, where it where it began. Um, it is true that our churches came together for the purpose of cooperating for mission, mm-hmm. but it also is true that they already were part of a cooperative group of churches that were partnering together for mission. And there was a a difference in philosophy over um, the issue of slavery. Mm -hmm. And that's just the the reality. And so what happened is that essentially those Baptists in the North had such a substantive difference with Baptists in the South that they had an ethical problem with sending slaveholders as missionaries. And uh, so then those that were in the southern states began to say, we're sending our money for this, but you won't send our people. Mm-hmm. And essentially said, uh, and there there were a couple of things. There was a test case that they tried. You right. know, they tried to see if some they could get someone sent, like if they could pay for all of it. How about we all pull together and pay? Will you send him? And the Triennial Convention said, no, they mm-hmm. um, they they weren't going to to do that. And then there was a resolution uh, in Alabama. And so they did kind of the same thing. They asked, would you send out uh, a qualified Baptist slave owner? And the members of the board basically said, um, you know, 
this this is they won't they won't consider it. They wouldn't even you know consider it. So the Southern state conventions basically and the Southern churches basically said we're going to start our own thing. Um, and so that's a hard that's a hard thing because really that's where our Absolutely. history began. I mean, it's also kind of against the backdrop of a larger secession that mm-hmm. happens, you know, a few fifteen years later or so uh, in the in the nation as a whole. But that's essentially what the way it begins. And those churches cooperating together stay largely in the South for mm-hmm. decades. So it's just this group. That's why it's the Southern Baptist Convention, because it's all the Baptists in the South. Right. And it's not until about the uh, 30s, 40s, 50s that things start to expand outside. Um, we start to plant churches in other places, things like that. And a lot of our history has been looking and saying, OK, if we cooperate for mission, who are we going to be and what are we going to value? And I think there's been a culture shift from that beginning mm. uh, to now as to what, you know, what we care about. So a lot of things, a lot of stuff we've done, particularly in the last 25 years, has been really reckoning with that. Yeah, it is a tough history to reckon with, right? I mean, the reality yeah, is, is uh, Southern Baptists were part of a group of Baptists. We were in a nation that was dividing and uh, Southern Baptists chose geographically, structurally, with the South, and the South was uh, pro-slavery. And that, that tracks with our um, tracks with our history, and we have to own that, right? We can't deny, it's not fair to deny that. The, the reality is our founding documents say that we're, we're established to elicit the, uh, the, the, the efforts of, of, of all the churches in the, Southern, in the South for one sacred effort. But why did we do that? There were some significant issues. So we have to own that story. And I appreciate what Amy said. We're trying to spend the last several decades dealing with that past. How do we deal with it? We don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be that going forward. It's out of the South, uh, dealing with racism, uh, dealing with those issues um, as we push forward and figure out how we do mission together. Yeah, we've got an, kind of an interesting narrative that spins out of that one. And uh, again, to Amy's point, you said it so well. We've uh, Ours is a story of kind of wrestling with our identity ever since some of that stuff, I think. And I'm I'm encouraged by some of it and discouraged by some of it along the way, right? And that's how most histories, most stories tend to go. Um, From that beginning, let's talk about a bit of the nuts and bolts and what got established and how it worked and what this has really created as far as a system for missions in specific. So when that decision was made, uh, how did it happen? Where did it happen? Some of those kind of things. Let's fill in some of those details maybe. Yeah, sure. 1845, Augusta, Georgia. There was uh, the the first ever meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention. And there there really was a structural difference between what Baptists had been in the United States and what Southern Baptists became. Um, Before, um, missions and the activity of the convention was sponsored typically by what we we call a society method, which is where uh, individuals and individual churches could identify themselves with specific causes. So it could be the cause of international missions, the cause of women's education, the cause of publishing. And so in the same way that today we have, we would consider, say, a parachurch organization where people would serve on the board of these uh, of these societies who would give money to the societies. Each society was was um, raising support from churches and from individuals, again, for specific causes, when Baptists in the South formed our, um, our convention, we made a fundamental shift in structure 
from this society method where each individual church, pastor, group of people would kind of have your own pet project or group of pet projects that you would support to really, again, if you read the founding documents, we're going to elicit the, the, the efforts of the entire denomination for one sacred effort. And so we came together in what has been called and what is called an association or convention method. And that is that, that we leverage all that we are, not for individual and specific activities, but for one activity, and that is the mission. Now we have different boards and agencies that come out of that, right? We have our International Mission Board, which is founded as a foreign mission board. We have our what is our North American Mission Board, which was our home mission board. We have our seminaries, which are for education. Uh, we have our other uh, entities and agencies, all of which previously uh, would have existed in some form, but were supported more individually from society. Now it's not the entire denomination focuses to support the activity of those. So we do have a fundamentally different structure now, and that really is where we uh, we find the idea of, of being on mission together. Yeah, so before you as a listener think we may be running off into the weeds on you here just a bit, let me pull this back into some of the conversation we've had. What Scott just said is actually really important here. So if the whole purpose of this series has been talking about how we go together, so if it's called Together We Go, right? And we've discussed with you some of the unique nature of how churches both theologically and practically work together for the sake of the Great Commission. When we set up our denomination, we did it different than what had been. Now, why would we do that? Beforehand, you had more of a shotgun approach when it came to to churches working to support missionary endeavors. Uh, You had all these different societies, like what Scott was saying. And uh, whatever your cause du jour, whatever you thought was a great cause, you'd spin up a society for it, and you'd run around on horseback at the time Mm -hmm. trying to convince a bunch of churches to give you their nickels and dimes so that you could have your purpose funded. Mm -hmm. Well, our group of churches said we want to come at this a different way. What would it look like for us to, to come together around, and you've heard the language, Scott used it a second ago, one sacred effort. And so we set at the very center of that cooperation this idea of fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, certainly at the center of that idea was international missions at the time, but we realized that there's a, a cluster of things, uh, of ideas that surround churches working together for the sake of the Great Commission, and we started pooling and funneling resources in a certain way that allowed us to do that. However, uh, that gets us to the point of the cooperative program, which was actually an invention, invention later on down the road. Amy... Could you talk to us a bit about the CP? Absolutely. So here's what begins to happen. Um, Before the CP uh, is created in 1925, so we're coming up on the 100th anniversary Mm -hmm. of it, they have this big, essentially it's a financial crisis. So we've had all of these, as you talked about, the societies. We have the societal giving, and so you would have one group that's losing money and they would, you know, rush to fill that one up and then another one is losing money. So they would do big, you know, fundraising. So they decided, what if we do this huge fundraising pitch for a bunch of money that we can then distribute among all these uh, mission efforts? And it was called the 75 million campaign. And so they gathered all these pledges and they were trying to get $75 million and they came up short. Well, actually... The pledges came up bigger than $75 million. But they came up short they, when the, nobody showed up with the money. That's exactly right. They didn't ah. make good on their pledges. But so, they spent the pledges. Yes, they <laughs> absolutely did. And there's uh, there's some amazing history on this, too, about how uh, 
some pretty significant leaders. I think A.T. Robertson was one of them that, mm. like, I mean, tremendous guilting of churches mm. who didn't make good on their <laughs> pledges. It's uh, There are ads from state papers that'll just, you know, they make you feel ashamed to look at them now. Um, you want to go back but, and get Yeah, right? you're like, I'm so sorry we didn't, you know, send that in. Uh, so it's uh, they had this big thing, but it was essentially what you would call like Apollo 13, a successful failure. Because mm-hmm. what happened was... They didn't meet their goal, but they began to see what could happen if they started working together. And so it actually led the um, the leaders of the convention to say, what if we set up something permanent? And what if we set up a mechanism that actually does this, you know, for in perpetuity, like year after year. And so in 1925, they passed the cooperative program that essentially was a way to collect undesignated funds from churches um, through state conventions in partnership and then uh, in financial partnership, not necessarily a legal connection, but in financial partnership. And then uh, they would turn around and distribute them the way the convention saw fit. And so we've now been doing that for almost 100 years. Right. And so the way that I tend to liken this, and this is, you guys tell me if this is a terrible analogy and I'll stop using it, but <laughs> I think I think the way that I tend to talk about the difference between the, the way that we do the cooperative program and maybe that old society model, um, you had all these plates spinning back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. And you had to keep them spinning. And so one would start to wobble and we'd run over and we'd have to in, you know, infuse some money in it. We'd get you know, kind of a crisis moment. Let's make sure it's running. And then by the time we got this one going, this one over here was low and, and we had to run over and we had to put more gas in the tank for it and keep it spinning. And, right. and, uh, and so that's the way we were working back then. It was kind of a harried, frantic, let's fund this and then let's turn around and fund this. And we're putting out fires. So and a lot speak. of interdenomination competition. Right. Yes. Exactly. That's yes. exactly right. Solicitors from one organization would show up in your church, and then solicitors from another organization show up the next week, why you should give here and why you should give there. And pastors get frustrated. Lay people get frustrated. So, yeah. So the shift to the CP was this realization that instead of trying to keep all these plates spinning, what if we created an engine that kept the whole thing going? And allowed for stability and consistency in our mission strategies and efforts. We don't have to have spurts in each. Instead, we're in a position where we've got gas in the tank, mm-hmm. and then this distributive system gets the resources to all of the different things that we want to keep running concurrently. Uh, it seems like a pretty good strategy in my mind, and we've been running on the thing for going on a century now, and uh, it's produced a whole lot of fruit. Yeah. It really has. And it's, you know, we always, obviously, it kind of comes at the center of things. One of the things that I think we have to be really careful about is when you have something like that, it's pretty easy to weaponize it. Absolutely. right. Um, and to kind of leverage the cooperative program for the direction you want to go. And, th- and, and I don't even mean that. I mean, I think individuals can do that. Churches can mm-hmm. do that. Entities, state conventions, like it, it's an easy temptation. Um, but what we have to remember is that the heart of the program is that it is cooperative. Mm. And so what we are doing is trying to work together uh, for the mission efforts that the majority mm. of Southern Baptists have come together to say they want. Yeah, you know, the, the fascinating thing, too, Keila, you know, several weeks ago we ran through uh, the biblical foundation, right. theological foundation for cooperating together. Uh, an interesting kind of untold story is that there was a whole lot of argument at the 
inception of the cooperative program of are we even allowed to do this? Wait a minute, we're Baptists. We're autonomous. Yeah. Why should we come together? And not only did we in 1925 decide we wanted a cooperative program, but we as Baptists also decided that we were going to be a cooperative group of Baptists. And we actually have in a doctrinal statement cooperation as a priority. And what we can say about Southern Baptists is that we have as an identity, kind of a heritage and an identity that cooperation is part of who we are. So it's not just this appendage that hangs off the side. Hey, this is how we fund things. It's fundamentally who we are as Southern Baptists. We work together for missions. And we've decided at points that there may be some feelings of independence that we're going to lay aside because we recognize the Bible supports Mm -hmm. and we historically, collectively, we support this notion that we work together. Together, uh, we can not just accomplish more, but we fulfill God's mission in a greater, more effective way when we join together in this thing. Yeah, one of the things that I think if we come back to some of the conversations we had earlier for the listeners that have have been with us for the, the rest of this series, right, is this if you you take what you just said and you lay it on top of the conversation we're having about our history mm-hmm. and how we've we've been wrestling through kind of the identity of who we are, that's one of the pieces that really it sits at the core right. of who we are. There's a lot of different groups of Baptists out there, right? But one of the things that we understand as Southern Baptists, or we we're fully convinced of as Southern Baptists, is this understanding that at the core identity of how churches should work is cooperation. Our churches aren't islands. Right. They're not supposed to be islands. We right. believe the Bible says they're not islands. That's right. And I think oftentimes we love to talk about autonomy, but we have to talk about both concepts together yes. because right. we cling to autonomy when we're like, nobody, need, you know, I don't want anybody to tell, me, tell me what, what to, to do. do. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but we have to recognize that in our um, autonomy, we are we are voluntarily choosing to cooperate mm. together. We are deciding that we can do more together than we can do apart. And so uh, so we have to recognize that with that autonomy, that when we have you know, signed up to participate in this, we're stepping forward to mm. say we're part of, we're part of something um, because we want to be part of this mission together. What a great point. I think that's a great thing to emphasize. Our autonomy gives us the ability to agree to volunteer with one another. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We can't mistake cooperation for hierarchy. That's not what we're talking about here, right? Um, Those things can both be held together. And in my estimation, the Southern Baptist Convention is this beautiful experiment in holding autonomy and cooperation together. That's right. How do we voluntarily work with people for over 100 years on something that's bigger than any of us can do by ourselves. And again, this is the experiment. This is what we're doing as Southern Baptists. And, uh, you know, I'm glad to do it with you guys and with other people. And, uh, you know, it's more than we can do more together than we can do apart. There really is something spiritual, mm-hmm. spiritually dynamic, but there's a practical element too. Amy, thanks for being with us this week. Thanks for having me. Hey, would you do us a favor? Come back next week and let's, um, we're going to go into uh, kind of the podcast right before we get into the SBC. And we need you as the parliamentarian expert to actually tell us what is about to happen. Well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to say that, but well, at least tell I can us how help it get should. you ready. 
function. I can That's help right. get you ready. So, hey, come back with us next week. We appreciate you uh, logging in, tuning in uh, to this week's episode of The Scent Life. Uh, and so we want you to uh, continue to press into this notion of what it means to be on mission together uh, as we as Southern Baptists see what it is to uh, fulfill this one sacred effort, getting the gospel to those who desperately need to hear it. Uh, this is our time, our generation, and we want to be uh, the best that we can be. Thanks a ton for being here, Keelan. Amy, thanks for being here. And uh, join us next week for our next Scent Life podcast. <laughs>